So to begin the night, um, begin this conversation, I want to ask you guys a question. What comes to mind when I say the word home? What comes to mind when I say the word home? Is it a nice and comfortable place where you have loving family members and siblings where you can just have a grand old time? Is it the place where you can run to and hide when things go bad? Or maybe you don't know where to call home because you never met your biological parents. I would say most of us in this room would agree that home is a safe place, right? Home is a place where you can run to. It's a place where you can get comfortable. It's a place where you can find rest. It's a place where you have a lot of good memories from your childhood. And to prove it to you, I want to give you all a little story. So believe it or not, I used to work out. I know it doesn't look like that right now, but I was looking pretty swole in my high school years, and it was my thing, right? So I would go home, I would watch these workout videos, and you know, I would drink all the right protein shakes, get the protein and carb ratio right, making sure you know, I was getting enough nutrition and getting my calorie surplus. And people were starting to notice my gains, and I was too looking in the mirror, and it was so cool because I was like, I've never been this big. Um, one day, um, before my workout, I forgot to drink water. <laughs> uh, yeah, you nurses in the room know how important hydration is. Water intake, super important. Not only before the workout, during the workout, but also after the workout. And that came back on me because in the middle of my workout, uh, I started losing my vision. I started seeing stars. I started getting nauseous. You know all the good old side effects. Me not being a quitter, I decided to push through the rest of my workout. <laughs> kind of silly, because I didn't have a spotter or anything. I was just there by myself. Uh, and I made it through. I don't know how much like, it benefited me, but I made it through. And I was faced with two options. One, I could chill at the gym and wait until all these effects subsided. Right? Regain my vision, compose myself, get some water, and we'll be all good to go. Two, I could find my keys, run to the car in the parking lot, step on it, and try to make it home. Why was that second option so appealing? Right? Not for the adventure part of driving really fast home and you know, seeing if I can make it, but the fact that I could make it home before disaster struck. That was very appealing to me because I knew my mom was there take care of me. We love our moms, don't we? I knew that if disaster struck, she would be there to help me out. Right? So that was the option I picked. I decided to take my car and drive home. I think I was going 30 miles over the speed limit. So the Maryland police can't arrest me here because I'm in Tennessee. So, but that's what happened uh, about five years ago. And I made it home miraculously. And as I was heading towards the bathroom to, you know, puke, um, I stumbled and I didn't make it and I puked everywhere on the floor. Uh, so not a good time. But here's the thing. <laughs> I shared that with you guys because my mom saw the whole thing. And she saw me there, puke all over my face, all over the floor, and she cleaned me up because she loved me so much. My mom was there for me. I knew she would be right there for me. Tonight's sermon is titled, There's a Home for Sinners. There is a home for sinners. The reality is I'm not self-sufficient and neither are you. Right? We were made to be dependent beings. When God created man and woman in the Garden of Eden, when God created Adam and Eden, he made us to be dependent on him. We have a dependent nature. This world is full of pain, struggle, heartache, hardship, and we can't escape any of that. This world's hard. We're not self-sufficient. All of us in this room must understand 
before we move any further in this sermon, all of us in this room have to understand that we need God. That's the key. We don't just need to want God. We actually, physically, literally, spiritually need God. Every fiber of our being. We don't just need God in our lowest moments or our highest moments, right? It's easy to worship God when everything's going well. We don't need him. I have all the money in the world. I have a specific person. I don't need God. It's a little bit easier to call on God and depend on God when you need a financial breakthrough or when disaster strikes or when your grandmother is laying on the deathbed. It's easy to call on the Lord when you really see that you need him. But the reality is the blessings of this life veil the fact that we need God at all times. We need God because we're sinners. Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone in this room, including myself up here, everybody in Memphis, Tennessee, everybody in the world is a sinner. They fall short of the glory of God. We need God as humans, but ever more so as sinners. We cannot hope in ourselves because we are hopeless apart from God. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for what you did for us at Calvary. God, that you sent your one and only son to die for us. God, I thank you for the space that you've provided. The ability to gather here freely on a Wednesday night in Memphis, Tennessee, just to worship you and praise you for who you are, but also express gratitude for who you are to us and what you did for us. Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts and that we would submit to the teaching you have through the word you've so inspired through these human authors. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we learned in the introduction video, Jesus is speaking with the Pharisees because these Pharisees are irritated at the fact that he's associating with sinners. What's a Pharisee? A Pharisee, were, they were strict law keepers, law enforcers, lovers of money, hypocrites, and they looked at this man who claimed to be God, claimed to be associated with God. We call that blasphemy. And they're like, who is this man that's associating with these sinners? And as we heard from Pastor Cross, the first 10 verses of this chapter, Jesus provides two parables to these Pharisees defending his associations with sinners. In our passage tonight, Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32, Jesus provides a third parable. And that's the parable of the prodigal son. Why is he giving parables, right? Why can't he just tell us the truth, right? Why can't he just speak our own language? Parables were stories used by ancient teachers to convey spiritual truths. And the reason Jesus was using parables is because he got to a point in his earthly ministry where he had to instruct his believers, but also not give an opportunity for the authorities to arrest or kill him. So he's still trying to make disciples, spread the gospel, the good news. The Messiah is here. The promised Messiah of the Old Testament is right before your eyes. But these Pharisees didn't like that. This man speaks blasphemy. People began opposing Jesus. But Jesus, his time had not come yet. And the way to continue his ministry was speaking through parables. This parable is for all of us tonight as well. It's for us tonight. Why? Because we're all sinners. 
This evening, I want to point out four biblical truths about sinners. Four biblical truths about sinners that we can glean from studying the parable of the prodigal son. There's hope available for you and I tonight. Living and everlasting hope. Would you look with me at the first six verses of the parable of the prodigal son? Verses 11 through 16 of chapter 15. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. The first biblical truth about sinners is this. Sinners will not find hope in this world. Sinners will not find hope in this world. As we're working through this parable, it's important for me to clarify for us that the father in this parable represents the fatherhood of God. And this young son, this young runaway son, represents us, sinners in need of a savior. In those days, a father could grant an inheritance before or after his death. He had a choice. And this young son realized that. And him, being the greedy individual that he was, went to his father and said, hey, what if you gave me my blessing now? That sounds like a great idea. Why would I wait till you die? Just give me my stuff now and let me begin my own life. Does that sound good? And we read in scripture that the father allows for this to happen. The father gives this young son his allotted inheritance. Why? Because the father was respecting his free will. The father was respecting his young son's free will. How many of y'all love your dads? I love my dad, but he loves giving advice. <laughs> but it's great because my dad loves me. He wants the best for me. He doesn't want me to make the same mistakes that he made in his life. He's been on this earth for 62 years, and I hope you can have 62 more. Uh, I don't know if that's possible, but it's my wish up here. And he would tell me, you know, how I could dress better, where to get the best haircuts, you know, how to hit a tennis ball better. Not pickleball, I already know how to do that. So I'm telling him how to do that. But despite all the suggestions he gave me, right, in a loving way, my dad always ended our conversations with one phrase. That's Ozzy, you make the final call. Right? Ozzy, you make the final call. What's he doing? He's respecting my free will. The reality is true parental love never intrudes on free will. God so loved the world. God loves each and every single one of us so much that he allows us to pick. Free will exists because God is love. As sinners, we cannot save ourselves. We won't find hope in ourselves, but in God we have living and everlasting hope. 
the young son thought he was self-sufficient and it took a famine for him to run into the reality that he made a foolish decision. And we tend to act like this young son when we're discontent with the things in our lives. When we're discontent with what the Lord has entrusted to us this season. We look around the room and we go, can I have what he has, God? Because that looks so much better than what you've given me. Can I have what she has? Right, she has a much better looking guy. Why can't I have him? Why can't I have that job? Why can't I have that much money? Why can't I have that house or that car? We're discontent with what the Lord has given us. And we see ourselves right smack dab in this parable. It's like we're looking into a mirror. We we may not be running for an inheritance. We may not be looking for that or praying for that, but we're looking for something in our life that's definitely not God. Looking at verses 15 and 16, we see that this runaway son eventually hires himself off to this random citizen. So he's run off into this far country. He has all his money. He has all his stuff. A famine hits, right? No food, no water, no nothing. And he's already spent all of his property on reckless living. So what does he do? He goes, maybe I can evade this. Maybe I can still pull this off. Let me hire myself off to a random worker. Make some money. And once I have that, buy some food and we'll be good. We'll make it through the famine, okay? And we see here that even though he finds a job with this citizen, right, feeding pigs in his field, Scripture says he was so hungry that he longed for the pods that he was feeding the pigs, right? That's like being hungry for dog food. That's not a good sight. Even then, Scripture says no one gave him anything. What we learn here is that just as sinners do not find hope in themselves, sinners will not find hope in each other. The formula is pretty simple if you've been listening. Sinners will not find hope in themselves. Sinners will not find hope in each other. Sinners will not find hope in the world. In the world, that's the key. To illustrate this, imagine if we were sitting on a plane, right? And I'm the pilot and y'all are in your first class seats and everything like that. And we're going to Honduras on a mission trip or something like that. This didn't actually happen, I want to preface, but we're just, cruising, we're just cruising along and we're enjoying our rides, we're watching our movies, we're reading our books. All of a sudden, there's a structural failure on the plane and we start taking a nosedive from 30,000 feet in the air and we're headed straight for the ground. Right, you start to realize that your friend next to you, the celebrity that happens to be on the same flight as you, that everything else in this world doesn't matter except the fact that you're falling and you're going to die. So it is with the world. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. In other words, we earn death as the result of having sin. That means 10 out of 10 of us in this room are going to die. We're all just as hopeless. But here's what I'm trying to say. I'm not just leaving you all on that note. People can't provide lasting hope, but they can point you to where you can find hope living and everlasting hope, God. Just like we're not self-sufficient, we won't find hope in one another because a group of self-sufficient people won't help out the situation, right? What, are the, what is everyone in the plane going to do? Jump at the same time and then hope the plane doesn't hit the ground, right? It doesn't work that way. And if this world can't offer us hope, if the things in the world can't offer us hope, someone greater than the world has to come to our rescue, You guys see how that makes sense? The Apostle Paul rightly expresses this truth in Romans 7, 24. 
he exclaims, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who? So how do I experience this hope, Ozzy? <laughs> how do I do that now? That sounds pretty enticing. I, I'd want a little bit of that. Well, let's look at what the word of God has to say. I'm in verses 17 through 20. But when the son came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. The young son finally came to his senses through a famine that he was not self-sufficient. The reality was he was dependent on his father. As a result, in response to this situation, he begins rehearsing this confession statement. Like, this is what I'm going to say to my father. I'm all ashamed. I know I made a mistake, so I got to get the right words here to be back in the family. And eventually, he gets to the point where he wills himself, turns his back on a situation, and heads towards his father. Scripture says that he arose and went back to his father. This word arise here is a scriptural term that we'll find in the context of repentance. Right, so we recently just went through the Jonah series, and we see this word appear two times, in chapters 1 and chapter 3. And both contexts are when God is calling Jonah to arise and go call the people of Nineveh back to repentance. This son was ready to repent of his sins, and Scripture is making that very clear to us. So as I promised you, I'm going to tell you guys how you can experience this hope. The first step to experiencing this hope is that you have to recognize your dependent nature. And that's principle number two for the evening. Sinners must recognize their dependent nature. Apart from the father taking care of this young son, this young son is hopeless. He went and drank, slept with women, gambled, whatever he did, we don't know. But the Bible classifies it as reckless living. He was doing everything he can to find hope outside of his father, outside of the household where he had everything he already needed to live life, be happy, be merry, grow old. And he chose to find hope everywhere else and left the place where he already had hope. Sounds a whole lot like us, right? <laughs> Rationalizing with ourselves that God's ways only interfere with our plans. This young son was trying to write his own story. I have an idea. I have my own agenda. You can give me my inheritance now. Let's begin with that. And then I'm going to see which one of these things is going to fulfill me or satisfy me. Is it going to be prostitutes? Is it going to be gambling? It was none of the above for him. We're lost. But see, here's the thing. We don't realize we're lost. We can't say we're lost until we can synonymously say there's a place to be found. So the son realized two things within a split second. Oh, I'm lost. I need help. But immediately where I need to go. You can't have one without the other. If there was no lost or found, you're just there. But if you say you're lost, you're also communicating or conveying the fact that there's a place where you can be found. By depending on God in all matters, you are choosing to live life in the manner it was fashioned to experience. Right? Just like there's two ways to sit in a chair. 
right? Leaning forward and leaning back. We learn the chair's true function when we rest and we lean back. And we feel that backrest. May not be a very comfortable backrest, but it's there. But we learn the function of a chair. That's faith. When we lean back into the loving arms of a beautiful father. We lean back by repenting, trusting God's plan for our lives and remaining content with what we already have. And again, just to reiterate, it is your choice whether or not you want to depend on God. God has given you a choice out of love. He didn't just create the world and say, let's play this game. Let's have this simulation and see how many people end up in heaven, how many people end up in hell. But he loved every single one of us before we were formed in our mother's womb that he says, I want to give them a choice. We have a choice to depend on God. It's a call. This scripture is calling us to arise, just like this young son did, right? Repentant language, to arise, repent, to turn from our sins, run back to God, trust his plans for our lives. The story goes on. Would you read with me the second half of verse 20? But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate for this. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. So as this young son was a long ways off, right? He spent all of his inheritance on reckless living. He makes that decision. He turns from his reckless living, turns towards God, turns towards the father, sorry. The father sees him from a distance. The son's on his way home. The father meets the son out in the field. And the father ran and embraced the son. The father's behavior in this historical context is countercultural. You wouldn't see a grown man like that in this day and age run out with his bare feet to meet this disobedient, shameful son. But we see that the father also gives this young son four items, right? The best robe, shoes, a ring for his hand, killing the fattened calf for a nice welcome home meal. This father was not just meeting the son's needs. He was giving him items of honor to show that he truly was welcome home and loved. That's what those items mean. The sight of his son was enough for him. The father could not contain the joy, the joy of seeing his son found and alive. God is a perfect father who does not just want to meet our needs, but wants to bless us because he loves us. Repentance may be difficult, may be costly, may be embarrassing. It's worth it. God wants you to come as you are. Bring all of you. We see that the father had every right to criticize this son. You know how much money you wasted? Why did you do that? You probably ran off in the middle of the night. You didn't even give us a warning or say goodbye. If you read this passage back home in your quiet time, when you have free time, you'll see that the father does not respond with words to the son. He's too busy showing how much he loves the son and just happy that he's found 
alive. Bring the best robe. Let's cook a nice welcome home meal. Potluck for everybody. My son is alive. I don't know if they were Baptist or anything like that. <laughs> Biblical principle number three is this. Repentant sinners will find hope because it is God's desire. If we have to earn God's desire, we're screwed. If it was God's desire, we have a chance. The issue most of us run into is setting our own standards for when God will accept us. In other words, I'm not just talking to the unbelievers in the room, the non-Christians, those who have not accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I'm actually predominantly talking to the Christians in the room where we begin to act like this young son and we begin to come up with our own standards for when God will accept us. Sounds a little bit like this. God, I know I've sinned again. Will you still save me? God, I know I've committed this sin a thousand times. Will you still hear my prayer? In other words, we begin to act like this young son in trying to sweet talk our way back into the family, right? So we see back in this parable that this young son recites the confession statement that he has rehearsed. This time, he's not begging to be back in the family. He's begging simply to be a family worker. Notice that. He says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. At least, can I still associate you like in this, this business relationship where I can work and serve you and you can pay me just so I can live? That's not how this works. He is still the father's son. We need to bring that into our prayers with the Lord. If you know Christ, meaning he is your Lord and Savior, you have received him, you believed what he did for you on the cross, that he died and rose again three days later. You are a child of God. There's a place for you in the house of the Lord. And there's no greater joy than knowing that you are a child of God. Those of you who don't have a relationship with God, you may not realize that you have a heavenly home you can run to. You may not realize that you have brothers and sisters waiting at home for your return. This home is nothing like your broken home. Remember when I asked in the beginning what you thought of when you thought of home or when I said home, right? This is a perfect heavenly home. This is a home for sinners. We're just like this father was honoring his child. God wants to bless us, but we have to depend on him. We have to repent. We have to arise. We have to turn from our sins and we have to trust God and his agenda for our life. Hope is not found in the things of this world. We can be sure that God gives us hope because it is his desire. Just to reiterate that. Hope is not earned by any means, but is the natural result of depending in God where hope is found. Jesus says in John 15, 4, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus is providing his followers, those who are listening to his teachings, an invitation to life, an invitation to hope. Jesus also says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
Jesus is God. God is saying this. Hope is not available just through anyone or anything, but in God alone, by himself. So my question for you is, is he your Lord and Savior? If he is, are you depending on him or are you running away? Listen to how the story ends. Verses 25 to 32. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This older son would do well in listening to Cross's sermon on Jonah 4. Handling anger, right? It's important to remember that Jesus is providing this parable to Pharisees. Religious hypocrites who are in it for the money, who are irritated at the fact that he was associating with sinners. Jesus is defending you and I. He's defending each one of us in this room. He's saying, I love these types of people. These are my people. I'm here to save them, love on them, serve them. We see in this passage that for two-thirds of the verses that we've read tonight, there's two characters, two main characters at least. We have the father and we have the young son. A third character emerges in these last eight or so verses. This is the older son. This is the Pharisee. This is why Jesus is telling this parable in the first place. Hey, this is where I'm talking about you guys. That's what he's telling the Pharisees. Jesus is providing this parable to show that the kingdom of God is not based on works. You cannot force your way into the kingdom of God through behavior modification, through how much money you give to the church, how much you read your Bible, how much you pray. You can't force your way into the kingdom of God like the Pharisees were trying to do. Salvation, hope, is given to the repentant. Done. Simple formula. Our fourth and final biblical principle tonight is this. Your identity in God defines who you are, not your works. Your identity in God defines who you are, not your works. Let your God-given identity dictate your life choices. You cannot earn this identity through your life choices. We see that this older brother, begins arguing with his dad. Look how many years I've served you. All the years I've been faithful and obedient to you, yet you never killed a fattened calf for me. You never gave me the best robe or shoes or a ring on my finger to honor me. But this son of yours, who spent your money on prostitutes, 
He gets all the glory. He gets a welcome home. The son thought that his argumentation would somehow change the mind of his father. Look what I've done. Look what he's done. Does this not make sense to you? Where's the logic here? We see that through the father's response, he values the sons more so for who they are in him than what they've done. When you repent, you receive a new identity. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If God has saved you, he is the savior of your life. You are a new creation. You did not just stumble into this new identity. You were given it. By depending on God, you received the gift of salvation. You received hope. No one in the entire world can ever earn their way into the kingdom of God. Take that, Pharisees, right? God is a father who calls you by your name and not your sin. (laughs) He cares about who you are more so than what you've done. Not that he doesn't care about what you do. He just cares more about the fact that you're there. Just like the father ran out to meet his son in the field. God can meet you in this room tonight. Meet you where you're at. You don't have to cancel anything. You just got to bring it all. You just got to be all in with God and he can work with that. You don't have to bring it to him. He's going to meet you where you are. That's how this works. Just like the father in the parable said it was fitting to celebrate this prodigal son, it is fitting for us to celebrate. Any one of you tonight who come home, who repent and turn from your sins, come home to some brothers and sisters you didn't know you had, come home to this heavenly home you didn't know existed. Come home where hope is found.